Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 42. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, psychology, and science with the aim of demonstrating that we have a mind and that this mind is free, creative, and purposeful in making our lives and our world a better place. Thursday was Thanksgiving here in the United States, and it is one holiday that every American can agree to celebrate, regardless of religion, political affiliation, or ethnicity. Although I'm sure around the Thanksgiving table, families do discuss politics and have their differences, get in fights, etc. But it's just great that families and friends can sit down together, regardless of their opinions, and break bread. So that's always a fun time here in, in America. And um, obviously, Thanksgiving is, of course, a time of giving thanks. I guess that's the purpose of it. And in preparing my own Thanksgiving toast for our family's feast, I thought a lot about just what it means to give thanks. And that allowed me to work in the topic of gratitude into this episode, which we'll be getting into. Now, specifically, uh, in this episode, we will be going over the important Hegelian concept of true infinity. Now, we've covered this term often here in the podcast. Uh, We've done two entire episodes on it. First, back in episode four, and just the very last episode, episode 41. But I'm going to go over it again, and here's why. It's interesting that after the last episode, I received some comments from several listeners. And although they were coming at it from different standpoints, they seemed to be struggling to fully understand what true infinity means. And what I think happens is we've been covering it here so often that the concept starts to get on the radar screen of certain listeners and they start pondering it, chewing around it, if you will, and um, they are seeking for greater understanding, greater clarification. So that's what we're going to try to do here. Now, in this episode, I'm going to start by reviewing hopefully a better definition of what Hegel calls bad infinity and why he does does call it uh, bad. Next, I will show how this bad infinity corresponds to Hegel's notion of the understanding, verstand, and how true infinity corresponds to Hegel's notion of reasoning, vernunft. Then I will discuss the importance of the word ought in understanding true infinity. And I think this may have been the missing ingredient from, say, the last episode. I will then try to relate true infinity to society at large and then move on to look at it from a historical perspective on how business innovation develops through spirit and true infinity. And finally, how gratitude can serve as a lever for true infinity, creating a purposeful, meaningful action in the world. Okay, so let's get started. As I have said before, it is a foundational concept of Hegel's philosophy, and it's really what sealed the deal for me with Hegel, that is true infinity. It's when the light bulb went off in my head uh, in terms of what true infinity means regarding my life, other people's lives, our minds, our freedom. Now, I recognize that one cannot turn a a light bulb on in someone else's head. It has to come to them on their own. They have to, the switch has to be flipped internally. And I quoted Hegel last episode on this regarding this concept, and I'll, I'll do it again. Quote, Just as no one can give faith to another, it must be taught by God, so also philosophy has its point 
which cannot be learned, cannot be imposed externally, cannot be transferred from one human being to another. And is this not precisely the point of its life? End quote. So I'm going to keep trying to explain this concept as best I can. First, let's talk about bad infinity. And by really focusing first on bad infinity, I think it might shine some light on what actually true infinity means, hopefully. Now, by bad, of course, I don't mean it's evil in some sense or creating you know, harm. No, only that it's not what infinity truly is. Now, let me explain. Bad infinity in the Hegelian system is most associated with numbers, an infinite extension of numbers, but it can also refer to an infinite extension of anything, say the infinite extension of time or space. However, Hegel shows that an infinite extension of numbers actually never escapes the finite. Now, there's a famous example of this called the Hilbert Hotel. This Hilbert Hotel was first described in a 1924 lecture by German mathematician David Hilbert, and that's why it's called, obviously, the Hilbert Hotel. It was also detailed in George Gamow's famous book from 1947, One, Two, Three, Infinity. Now, here's how the Hilbert Hotel works. Imagine a large hotel, and it's totally filled up. There are people staying in every room. A person walks in and asks for a room, and the clerk says, well, we're all filled up, but of course you can have a room. What we do here is we just reassign the numbers. You'll go into room number one, and the old number one will become room number two. Put a new sign on the door. Now that's number two. Number two will become number three, and so on. And this will bring us up to, say, 113 rooms. Now, you see, the Hilbert Hotel never runs out of rooms. The next person to check in will have the same process happen again, and then they'll be up to 114 rooms. Now, here's why it's not a true infinite. Until the next person checks in, there's still a finite number of rooms. So the hotel never completely escapes the finiteness of having every room filled. Let's take another example, pi. Pi is the ratio of the circumference of the circle, that is the length of the circle itself, to its diameter, which is the distance from one side of the circle to the opposite, drawn through the middle. And what is interesting is that this ratio of the circumference to the diameter is what's called an irrational number, meaning that it cannot be expressed in a set of whole integers, whole numbers. When you do try to express this number, it could go on forever. You can express it starting off, say, 1.4. That's one decimal point. You could add a decimal point. Now it's 1.42. And you can keep going. You can add 20 decimal points or 50 or 10,000 or a million and just keep on going. It would never end. Now, once again, though, when you express pi and say 100 decimal points, that is a finite number of 100 digits. It is finite. You can add another digit, then it is finite again. You never quite escape the finite, even though you are adding one digit at a time. And one last example here. Walking down a path. The path you're walking on may wind on forever, but you can only take one finite step at a time. So with each added hotel room, each added decimal point, each added step, you get no closer to infinity. That is why Hegel calls it bad or false infinity. Now let's move on to the what, what is true infinity. Hegel sums up the difference well in this quote from the Science of Logic, quote, 
The main point is to distinguish the genuine notion of infinity from the bad infinity, the infinity of reason from the infinity of the understanding, end quote. Aha! Now, this is a very important point Hegel's making here. Bad infinity is associated with the understanding, verstand, which we have referred to as left-brain thinking. And true infinity is associated with reason, vernunft, which we have been referring to as right-brain reasoning. Episode 37 dealt entirely with this difference between left-brain understanding and right-brain reasoning. And just to remind you, the understanding separates things and makes categories where reasoning, the right brain, is more holistic. It gets the big picture. It is in life rather than an abstraction of life. Left-brain understanding is the map, the outline. Right-brain reasoning is the actual terrain, the territory. Now, when you link reason, vernunft, to true infinity, and you link the understanding, verstand, to bad infinity, you get a whole new level of comprehension in terms of what's going on here, and it ties nicely within Hegel's entire system. It makes it much easier to understand the difference between true and false infinity when you're actually talking about two different ways of thinking, separating and dividing versus holistic. But there's more. A key concept to Hegel's true infinity is the notion of the ought. And again, let me quote from the Science of Logic, where he's quite clear, quote, in the ought, the transcendence of finitude, that is, infinity, begins, end quote. So the ought is central to the notion of true infinity. It's where this concept begins. And I don't believe I've emphasized this enough in prior episodes. The ought is what links true infinity to Hegel's entire project of freedom and creativity. True infinity is more than just breaking a finite barrier. The left brain looks at breaking out of a barrier as just occupying more space. A dog can be fenced in and break out of the fence, and that just expands the dog's territory. That type of expansion is more left brain. True infinity is not just an enlargement of past previous borders. It is an ought. It's what one should be doing. It's a better way of doing things. True infinity is actually what the freedom of mind is all about. The mind can perceive a better way of doing things. That's what the ought is. And once conceived, it can put in place plans to achieve this better way. And I believe this is a cornerstone of history itself, the actual cunning of Geist, if you will, uh, that there's a historical process going on of greater freedmen. Now, these wheels grind slowly, but other aspects move very quickly. The Wright brothers made the first controlled sustained flight of a powered heavier-than-air machine in 1903 at Kitty Hawk on the Outer Banks of the state of North Carolina in the United States. Sixty-six years later, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin flew to the moon, walked on the moon, and flew back. So, true infinity, what I'm saying is, it, it's it, essentially what is the driving wheel of, uh, of progress in the world. Humans could not fly, humans did not have wings, yet the Wright brothers envisioned something different. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computer, put it this way in one of their famous commercials, think different. Now, this better way, this ought, always has to involve others, not just oneself. In, in the last episode, we talked about the competitive mind versus the creative mind, which Wallace Waddles talks about in his book, The Science of Getting Rich. The competitive mind sees a fixed sum game. For me to gain, another must lose. That's the left brain understanding. The creative mind does not see things that, this way. It sees increase for all through reason and creativity. 
Now, in considering the ought, it's important to recognize it is not just betterment of oneself. It is a betterment of the whole, not just one individual. It is not a forgetting or abandonment of individual desires, though, but a joint recognition of both the desires of yourself and of others. I quoted from Waddles in the the last episode regarding the problems with the competitive mind. And let me quote him again. Quote, beware the competitive mind. No better statement of the principle of creative action can be formulated than the declaration. What I want for myself, I want for everyone, end quote. So the creative right brain mind thinks we instead of me. And Wallace in his book points out uh, this very clearly. Let me quote him again. Quote, when you rise from the competitive to the creative plane, you can scan your business transactions very strictly. And if you're selling any man, anything which does not add more to his life than the thing he gives you in exchange, you can afford to stop it. You do not need to beat anybody in business. And if you're in business, which does beat people, get out of it at once, end quote. Now, along these lines, there's an interesting exercise about making sure others benefit along these lines. And it's a little bit of a thought experiment, but take... um, Take a product that you use in everyday life. For this example, let's talk about an automobile. It would take you much, much more time and money to build a car from scratch in your backyard than it would to purchase a car at a dealer. You would have to buy the raw materials, forge them together. You'd have to have a shop, and you'd need many parts, steel, rubber, etc. You'd need to assemble these pieces together smoothly uh, to have the car. It would be incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for an individual to do this. The price you pay for an auto is far, far less than what it would cost you to build one yourself. The same thing is true for almost anything that you use on a daily basis. Now, of course, unscrupulous business dealings do occur. But this philosophy of providing more than what you take is the right approach from a societal perspective. It's also important to assure there's competition for products. Uh, This keeps the marketplace honest, where consumers can compare benefits and costs. Now, along these lines, it's interesting that our friend Marshall McLuhan wrote about this. We did a whole episode on McLuhan in episode 21. And I'd like to quote from an essay on McLuhan. Quote, in his book, Mechanical Bride, McLuhan introduces the idea that communism has been achieved through mass production. In Understanding Media, McLuhan reports that Europeans could exclaim that Americans had achieved communism, that rich and poor consumed the same goods and lived the same lives, end quote. Essentially, what McLuhan is saying is that it reaches a point through mass production where the goods and services available to the average person far exceeds what the richest person could own and produce themselves. In fact, the richest people today often lead lives that are very similar to those with less income. Now, of course, the 1% have greater access to better food, better housing, better education, better entertainment options. I'm not denying this. I also believe strongly that income disparity continues in this world, and it's a growing problem, which must be addressed. However, my point here is that Elon Musk and Bill Gates, they can only drive one car at a time. They watch the same TV shows, sporting events, and entertainment events that we do. They may have their own airplane, but I can fly commercially anywhere they can. And so on. You get what I mean. The differences in lifestyles uh, between them and and us is not as extreme as the differences in wealth. Um, We also talked about 
how the average person that lives today is much better off in almost all areas than, say, the richest people just 100 years ago. Uh, as, as I said, we talked about this in a previous episode. Now, of course, we've not found nirvana, and there's still so much more to be done. I'm not suggesting that at all. My point here is that, that one can only really benefit themselves by benefiting others, by providing real value. And one does this by imagination and creativity, seeing the ought, and working to achieve something for the benefit of all. Now, I want to move on and speak for a moment about uh, a number of the great business enterprises over the last, say, 200 years or so. We've seen in this time the harnessing of electricity, the railroads, the telegraph, the automobile, the airplane, the telephone, television, satellites, computers, the internet, Peloton, that, that's a joke, that last one. And those are just most of the big ones. Clearly, these inventions have helped all humans on the planet. And certainly the inventors of these products and services may not have always been altruistically minded. But many of the great pioneers of industry may have been used by the cunning of Geist to implement grand change and betterment. This would occur, of course, unconsciously, but occur it does. As Waddle says, quote, these multimillionaires are like the monster reptiles of the prehistoric era. They play a necessary part in the evolutionary process, but the same power which produces them will dispose of them, end quote. He also says, quote, God has worked a long time and very patiently to bring us to where we are in industry and government, and he's going right on with his work. There is not the least doubt that he will do away with the plutocrats, trust magnets, captains of industry, and politicians as soon as they can be spared. Lawrence Evans explains this concept well, quote, For Hegel, world history is driven by world historical individuals, so-called great men such as Socrates, Julius Caesar, and Napoleon. They alone are able to influence the tides of history and drive forward the self-consciousness of freedom. In a letter written to his friend Friedrich Niethammer in 1806, Hegel described Napoleon with adulation as a world soul on horseback. However much these world historical individuals are inclined to pursue their own interests, they are unknowingly used by spirit to move toward the realization of its own self-consciousness. Hegel refers to this as the cunning of reason, end quote. And here we refer to it as the cunning of Geist. I believe that much of the same spiritual process that Lawrence Evans is describing here is what's going on today with the Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk's of the world. These people thought differently and were able to perceive a big ought, and they acted. Whatever their intentions, they benefited millions. You're listening to this podcast, which reaches across the globe through technologies developed by people like these and others. This is not possible just a few decades ago. So now, in the last section of the episode, I want to speak uh, about the importance of gratitude. As I mentioned before, it's uh, Thanksgiving here in the United States is a national holiday. And I had time to reflect on just what it means to give thanks. And first of all, I believe that giving thanks does not necessarily mean thanking God or some higher spiritual power, although that it could mean that given one's beliefs. However, Hegel's conception of the cosmos places spirit squarely within nature. It's evolving and progressing. For an Hegelian, this can mean giving thanks to spirit itself, to life itself, to the freedom our minds have, to the right brain reasoning of Renouft and to true infinity itself. It is amazing how contemplating what we are thankful for can have such a calming, peaceful, and positive impact on one's psychology. 
We talked about Tony Robbins in the last episode, and he has a technique of each morning naming 10 things you are most grateful for. You do this every single morning while you're sitting there with your coffee. I've done this myself and did it for some time, and I marvel at how positive the effect can be. Tony calls gratitude the key to success. Now, just a couple of points here. First, cultivating the feeling of gratitude can make your experience of life so much better. If you're a billionaire and you walk around angry and pissed off all the time, what kind of quality of life is that? You're just an angry, pissed off person. But being a grateful person means you're a happy person and therefore truly rich. Also, I believe staying with a grateful attitude can open up more possibility for someone than a pessimistic attitude. You just are attuned to a different frequency, if you will. And you better perceive what is available and possible. As we said in the last episode, your positive thoughts are part of the positive thoughts of the cosmos. And as such, the universe itself can align itself with your goals as well. No, not magically. One must still have good plans and hard work. But a grateful attitude is much more aligned with spirit and true infinity. And as such, the odds of success increase. So, as it says in the Bible, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. So, to summarize... We've clearly shown how bad infinity never quite reaches infinity. It always remains partially stuck in finitude. We have shown that there's a clear link of true infinity to right brain holistic reasoning and a link of bad infinity to left brain understanding, the dividing type of thinking. We showed the importance of the word ought in understanding true infinity. And we related this to society at large, that the expression of true infinity must be we-oriented, not me versus you-oriented. We have shown the historical development of true infinity through business innovation and development through world historical innovators. And finally, how gratitude can serve as the lever for purposeful, meaningful action in the world. So, that's it for this episode. Please follow the podcast's Facebook page, at Cunning of Geist, and follow me on Twitter, also at Cunning of Geist. All references cited in this episode will be posted at the podcast's Facebook page. Please tell your friends about the Cunning of Geist and like, rate, and share wherever you can. Thanks so much for listening. This is Gregory Novak. This is the Cunning of Geist. See you next time.